Today's guest is Hannah Glasby. Hannah is an international model from Brisbane, Australia. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hello, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so I wanted to start with the modeling industry, mm -hmm. start with your career. Uh, what are some things that the average person or below average person like myself <laughs> does not know about modeling and being a full-time model? Oh, I mean, that's a very, thank you. There you go. It's a very open-ended question, I think, because I mean. How about this? What's the hardest thing about being a model that someone wouldn't, wouldn't think about? I think the hardest thing about being a model would probably be the thing that people, even though if they're not like front facing would understand, probably understand in terms of like insecurity mm. or in, in terms of the fact of being kind of constantly scrutinized or, or perhaps judged. Um, I think people are probably seeing a lot more of it within social media, like on a day-to-day -day basis, or maybe a tiny bit of what a model experiences on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but yeah, I'd say it has to be the, the constant scrutiny. It's, you know, even even at when I kind of was leaving the industry, not leaving the industry, but kind of taking a break now that where I am now, um, as a 30-year-old, I was still having to deal with like, make sure that my hair was a certain way, my nails were a certain way, uh, my weight was a certain way. It was just very, very structured. So I'd say that would be. And do you, do you bring that on yourself as much as like you hear, like you, you get criticized from, you know, outside people? But do you, are you insecure? Do you feel like insecure about yourself or do a lot of models feel insecure? I think it, it starts from the outside perspective and it kind of works its way, its way in. Like we all predominantly models start from the age of like 15 to 17, right? So they get us when we're real young mm -hmm. and you don't really have any preconceived notions about what you're supposed to weigh or, or what you're supposed to look like in general until you kind of get into your early twenties and, and the, the societal pressures are kind of pushed upon you. Um, but it, it was like it, it, it start like I said, it starts with the outside and comes, comes in. So it was constantly getting on set. Like I can, I can count so many times within my, my career where I'd be on set and some a stylist would be talking to the creative director and be like, well, why does she look like that? Or why why don't the jeans fit her? Or why her why are her teeth like that? Or why is her hair like that? It was this constant like scrutiny from the outside. And then you go home at the end of the day and you're like, what's wrong with my teeth? Or yeah. what's wrong with, you know, having a little bit of extra weight here or here? So it was this constant process of hearing that and then going home and kind of looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, oh, fuck, do I need mm. to shift this or do I need to change this? So Start second guessing yourself. Yeah, and they talk about you like you're not even sitting, <laughs> sitting right. There. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like on Instagram, you get negative comments. Yeah. But in your situation or a model situation, you're getting those negative comments from people whose opinion matter and are valued in that moment live. Yeah. So I'm 100%. sure it's a and million you, times harder. And then you wrap in like the fact that this is my job, this is my livelihood and the, the level of competition that you're up against on a day, like a daily basis with it. So I, yeah, it was really interesting when like social media became really prevalent. I started to get these feelings of like, oh, now people, I think people kind of understand what, what models go through because it's this constant n negative headspace and this constant negative environment um, that you're forced to like, like critique every little part of you. And I don't, I think, don't think anybody in any industry that would be good for their psyche. Mm. And do you think that's that's why it's harder for models to transition out of modeling into a career or a passion because your whole life it's kind of just been how you look and you're Hundred dissected and then once once you're done with that you, you in a sense don't know who you are outside of modeling? I think I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of models struggle to transition afterwards like in the period that I am now because I've spent so long of my life like my very very formative years of teenagehood into now like my early 30s being told what to do 
and not being able to to extend beyond those boundaries. So now as I step into like quote unquote real life, I go, well, what do I like? And and what am I good at? And how do I cultivate these areas of my life or these areas of growth t- towards a career path when in in a sense, like I've never had to do that. Like I had a couple of jobs as I was growing up. I worked at a grocery store. I worked at like, you know, I was a checkout chick. And like, <laughs> so I had that that understanding. But now, you know, as a 30-year-old, I go, fuck, like I, I spent 15, 16 years of my life being told what to do and now it's my choice. And I go, I don't, I find myself floundering a little bit with it, mm. but also exciting at the sure. same time. Were there, were there situations where, you know, because you, you get hired for a job, mm-hmm. right? You show up and you have to, you know, put yourself in their hands completely. Were there were there times or, or even many times or not when you were like, I don't really want to do this or I feel like I'm going to look stupid and, and, you know, you have to like obviously trust the vision. But yes. like, are there times are you really like, oh, I don't, this is not something that I feel great about? Oh, on a weekly basis sometimes, depending on like the city I was in and the, and the types of jobs I was doing, like sometimes in, in in two different ways like you know sometimes you wear the most ridiculous fucking things like I remember being in in Berlin and doing Berlin Fashion Week and I can't even remember the name of the designer but the clothes were the most fucking ridiculous things you've ever seen in your life and they are telling you to go out there with confidence and act like you're the baddest bitch in the room and you're like it's very very difficult for me to feel that way but that kind of comes into a part of my job mm-hmm. it's like it's my job no matter what I'm wearing and and what hair and makeup's on or how I'm feeling in that moment, it's my job to be able to sell that outfit and to sell that image for that client. So yeah. regardless of how ridiculous you feel, then you have to do it. And then on the on the flip side, there's some things that you don't want to do for your own personal safety or for your own personal boundaries. Like I'm sure that pretty much everybody, I think with the, the way that the industry has opened up to the general public and the knowledge of what's going on, that there is like a lot of nefarious kind of actions and things that happen within the industry so I can count again so many times in my life where I was posed um, or asked to do something and me saying no, but then thinking to myself, like, how would another girl in that same situation act? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think the story about how you became a model is really cool, how you won the competition, right, in yeah. the mall. Um, and one of the things I, I've kind of noticed, and I might just – I make up theories a lot. <laughs> They're completely made up, but – I know you said you kind of went into that. Maybe you can give a little context mm-hmm. of that story, but uh, I believe you said you went into that like very carefree. You were like, I'm just going to have fun and kind of, you didn't really think about winning it, right? Do you think that that, if that's even true, do you think that that helped you win it? And were you able to kind of keep that mindset once you actually got hired full time or did it become like, did you start to get more, um, like a little bit more on edge or feel like more pressure and more mm-hmm. stakes like once you actually became a full time model? That's a wonderful question. Um, you're welcome. First, yes, I was incredibly carefree and I I didn't really have any qualms about it, but it wasn't in the sense of like, let me go about this in a positive way. I just had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like ignorance is bliss type of thing. Kind of. Do you want to give the, do you want to give a little context on this? Well, yeah. So I was, I was scouted in like the strangest way. My mother, um, who worked for like a government subsidized, uh, care program in Australia had to go and do like a mandated CPR course. And weirdly enough, there was a designer in this course her being her was like, I have two beautiful daughters who, are, who could be models. And me being the older of, of me and my sister, it made more sense that I went and did it. And he ended up sending those photos to my now mother agency, Vivian. Um, and they, they called me up. They said, listen, you can either we can either put you through what a normal model goes through, which is getting a book and, and doing test shoots and spending a, quite a bit of money doing so. Or you can go into this competition that we're holding in a month 
there's no guarantee that you're going to win, but if you do win, then you get all these things and all of the things that we're, we're asking you to do, you'll get for free. And I was like, all right, sweet. And I went to Target and bought my first pair of heels and was wearing like a white tank top and a, How a old are you? pair of jeans. I was 16. Okay. And went into this little street mall competition and <laughs> my mother said I, was, I just looked like a, an absolute idiot like because I, I had no idea what I was doing and they were just telling me to walk up and down there. I was like, all right. And then I was just having so much fun with it because it was a new experience and then they were lined us all up and it was men and women and they said the winner is Hannah Glasby and my mum said it so I looked around and I was kind of one kinda, shot yeah it was one, one, one round it was no it was like three different rounds it was like a photography element um a catwalk element and then like a, a Q&A type of thing I can't even remember what they asked me either I'm sure the answer was so stupid <laughs> um and then yeah and then they announced that I was the winner and my mum said I just was looking around I didn't recognize that it was me who had been called and then I was like oh, oh. <laughs> and then I just got really excited and and um, and then I I worked in Brisbane, which is in tiny tiny market for modelling, for a couple of months was was semi successful. But I was in high school at the same time. And then scouts from IMG, which is at that time was the biggest modelling agency in the world, came over from New York and Paris, and they said we want you to come to Paris. And I said I've got to finish high school, even though I wasn't scholastically in any way shape or form uh, a champion. Yeah. But I, you know I wanted to have that under my belt. Well, at you least. want to potentially be a teacher, right? That's at exactly point, right. So. I did, and so you know. Finishing school was important to me because I had no idea where this career was going to take me. I just thought it was like a bit of a fun expedition or a challenge to to have, and and then I and then I moved to Paris. But yeah, to answer your question, I think that I think that throughout it was actually up until probably until I was about twenty five or twenty six where I really kept that carefree attitude along with it. I I understood in a way I think in my subconscious that I was so lucky to be doing what I did. It was such a fantasy kind of like miracle especially where I came from and the and the, uh, the environment that I grew up in I just thought to myself oh my god I get to wake up every day even though it's difficult and even though it has this and it has that like I get to wake up every day be paid thousands of dollars to come and act like a fucking fool in front of a camera and be myself so I just really played into that but yeah there was a certain point I think that yeah what happened that made you maybe make that shift I think it I was I was, again, incredibly fortunate. I was very successful very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went from from being uh, a high school student in, in the south side of Brisbane, which probably doesn't mean a lot to either of you, but like anybody from Australia would probably understand. Um, coming from a very sheltered environment as well where I wasn't really allowed to do anything or, or um, just, yeah, very sheltered environment to then living in, in Paris and exploring the world and, and being out by myself. So... There was a there came a couple of times in my life where I just was so overworked and so lonely and so I suppose jaded from the entire industry. There was a couple of experiences that happened that that really rubbed me the wrong way and left a really bad taste on my mouth. And um, there was two periods in my entire career, the fifteen years that I was like a full full time model, that I just had to take a step back from the industry because I felt myself becoming very ungrateful for the things that I was doing. Like I was on these massive campaigns and I would be devastated at the end of the day because I was just so tired in physically emotionally spiritually everything like I was just done so I had to take a step back from it and only re-enter the industry when I I knew I was ready to be grateful for it again or just to be positive about the entire experience Hmm. do you do you think that transition happened with dating as well right like in the beginning you 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 were carefree and it allowed you to be successful because you just had that mindset Mm. And that's what we talk about with dating, right? If you have that carefree mindset, the the experience is probably going to take a lot of pressure off you and be better. Yes. As you've gotten older and 
felt those insecurities and felt that pressure, did that also happen in your dating life as well, where it was like each time you dated somebody, you put pressure on yourself and the rejection was more personal than just kind of the carefree having fun, seeing what could happen. Yeah, in a sense. And then it was also this like this this stigma that, that surrounds models or this like I- idea that a lot of men had about a model. Like when I was younger, I, because I was so focused on my career, I wasn't really focused on like relationships. I was out there having fun. I was dating people. But I never never understood the correlation between the men that I was dating and the fact that I was a model. And then I think as I got older and came to a place like, say, Los Angeles, where the stature of being a model was far outweighed anything that I brought to the table. Like it was like mm. I'm a model and that was my entire identity to this person. Like I went on so many dates where they'd just be like and they would ask the only questions they would ask about the industry or what parties I could get them into or this or that. And so that's when I started to become less carefree about the entire dating experience. I became more sheltered and guarded with myself because I was like I don't want to consistently put myself out there and just be known in this one facet. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like on some dates, first dates I remember I didn't tell them that I was a model. Just to see how the reaction would be, and it was always very vastly different. What would you different. tell them? Oh, I'd say I was a stewardess. I'd say that I was a student. I'd say, like, just the most random shit for my own amusement. And, yeah, a <laughs> and bad girl at the supermarket. There you go. Check right. out chick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. LA is an interesting place with all that stuff. It is. It was very much like the label of it kind of outweighed the human that I was. So. Had uh, to come. Well, in terms of other challenges, is it hard? Because I know, like, if it's like my birthday or something, I have to take like three photos in a row where I <laughs> s- smile. Or, like, it gets it gets exhausting <laughs> yeah. after a couple of photos. Like, how's the physical aspect of the job that like people may not think about? Because I'm sure you're like on set sometimes. You're cold. Maybe you're wet. You have all these things oh, going man. on, and people probably, from an outside perspective, may think it's super easy just to sit there and smile. But is there a lot more to it than that? My brother. And can you share some experiences? Some some that I I've heard about that you know were really cool that were physically challenging. Yeah. Well, it's like the my brother's one of those people. He goes, "You just sit there and look pretty." I'm like, "Mate, I don't have this many scars on my fucking feet from just sitting there <laughs> looking pretty." But yeah, I mean, like any any environmental, like cold, hot, like to the extreme you can think of, I've been in. Um, I I would say like probably one of the biggest things that people don't realize is like our feet. Mate, sitting in six inch heels for for 10 hours a day and only being able to sit down for lunch and and basically to get changed within that 30 seconds, it is completely changed the arch of my foot. Mm. Um, and I have scars all around. I can't feel the two toes at the end of my feet. Like that's completely lost feeling now wow. <laughs> after years of being shoved into uh, shoes. Um, but yeah, it, it does take a physical toll on your body, especially if you're not like stretching or I don't know, kind of making sure that you're taking care of your body, like your stamina element has you have to be in some way shape or form physically fit mm-hmm. because some of the things like you're like I go on set or go on location and we're we're hiking up two miles in to be able to get to the actual location to shoot and then hiking two miles back wow or going into the to the desert and doing the same thing um but in the same time it's like it kind of it's really exciting to to physically put in that much effort to, for the creation of a, of a cool photo like we talked about it with Aramis um, when I was here, but like hanging out of a helicopter naked, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't sound in theory quite physically taxing, but to, you know, to perch yourself perfectly in a very graceful kind of way with like everything in your body in heels at the edge of a helicopter being strapped in with the cold, like I said, it was the coldest I've ever been in my entire life. Oh, wow. Goosebumps the size of this. It's like trying to stop my body from shaking because if I shake too much and the, the photo's going to be blurry. Right. Um, so just that entire thought process or when I did a music video, just as we had met actually. And 
the last shot of the day is we're, we're shooting, shooting up in Topanga Canyon and it's December and they have a, with the last shot's the pool shot. And then we're like, sweet. And they come to me like half an hour before in my trailer. They're like, Ooh, the, pool, the pool's not heated. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, I was like, no, it should be fine. It, um, I'll give it a go. And they're like, no, Hannah, it's really fucking cold. And they had a paramedic on set and they took my, my internal blood t- uh, temperature and my vitals and everything to make sure I was okay. And I, the the shot was me diving back into the water, right? So my first contact was going to be my hands and my head, and I like put my feet into the water. I was like, that is fucking cold. And I, they were one, two, three, action. And I jumped backwards, and my entire body shut down. I couldn't move. I literally oh. couldn't even like reach the surface. And I was like kind of spluttering. And then the fella came in and grabbed me out. They pulled me and put me wrapped me up in all these blankets. And my internal body temperature topped, like dropped like a degree and a half or a degree wow. within that period of time. But then. They, I warmed up for a little bit and then I did it again because I was like, we're going to get this shot. It's the last shot of the day. It, me, it was the f- opening. It was supposed to be the opening shot of the music video. So I was like, fuck this shit. How many takes? Two. Oh, good. The first one where I almost died. Second one, mind of a matter. And that's what it is at the end of the day. Like yeah. I've been, you know, people, again, people are paying me thousands of dollars sometimes, most of the time to be on these sets and to do these really physically demanding things. It's part of my job to, to put mind of a matter and. And I done. guess it's like a level of professionalism for, for different models, right? Like mm. the ones you take it more serious as the art who sacrifice for the greater good of what they're trying to create yeah. will be more successful. And also from what you told me, the amount of outfits that you change versus the average model, yeah. it's it's a pretty drastic difference. So can you like just touch on that a little bit? Well, I'm like, I... I like how, how many outfits does a typical model go through in a shoot versus, you know, the time and amount that you do in a shoot so you're talking specifically about e-commerce which is like for those not in the notes like the little tiny pictures that you see on the website just to be able to sell the clothing right and i was always known as an, an e-commerce machine because my work ethic's really good and pretty fast at what i do don't look at my phone and and just try to keep it as a dance to keep going but say on average like i would shoot anywhere between 70 and 90 pieces mm. a day and an average model would probably shoot about 40 or 50 and it was just purely because I took my job so seriously. And I, again, that, that grateful, that gratitude element going, this person has picked me out of all of these other people to be on set to do this today. In reality, I am earning so much more than the average person would. And I'm getting paid to kind of play dress up. Yes, it's physically taxing. Yes, it's fucking monotonous. And, you know, it's not the most exciting work, but it's also a privilege to be here. So I always took it very seriously. And like I said, it kind of made a game of it. And you want to build a reputation to get called back from the same clients. and One of the things that people don't realize about models and about working models, the industry has changed a lot because of Instagram models and influencers and stuff like that. But like a working model, our bread and butter is repeat clients, right? So it's these clients that, that I uh, that you work with on a, on a monthly basis. Like Forever 21 used to be a, a really good bread and butter client of mine. I used to work for them three times a week for e-commerce. Um, and it would, they pay me like 1500 bucks a day or something like that. And it was just like consistent work. But then I go in and shoot 120 outfits for them and they knew that I would, I would be bringing the best to the table and they compensated me for it. <laughs> yeah. Do models eat a lot of bread and butter? Depends on the model you're talking to. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I remember <laughs> if you're, if you're at like runway shows, no, because yeah. it weighs you down. Like mm. I remember being in Hong Kong. And was that a Hong- serious question? Maybe. I'm going to answer it as a serious question because (laughs) (laughs) even though it probably wasn't a serious question, it's true though. Like in, in runway shows in like Hong Kong, I remember going up to the sandwich table. And again, this is my first couple of years of modeling. So I'm not really thinking too heavily about the, the, 
constraints or restrictions. And you go over to the sandwich table and it's just a whole bunch of bread because everybody's taken the shit out of the middle of the bread uh. and just eaten it. And I'm like, well, this is horrific. But then you go to um, like a shoot in New York and they've got a fucking spread of, you know, bagels and all that kind of shit. So it just really depends on where you go. Okay. Well, I do have a segue, I guess. Do you have some? No, no, okay. segue away. Well, because uh, we had a model, we had a model on uh, last week, right? Sweet and Peyton? Peyton, yeah, sweetheart. Great episode. And she was, there's an instance when she, because I was going to ask you a little bit about the dark sides of mo the modeling industry, right? Bring it on. And she talked about how her first New York Fashion Week, you know, you don't make any money, right? No. It's very hard to survive. Yeah. She would just eat pickles because that's all, like, either all she could afford or all she could really find that was... Um, you know, they didn't feed her really, and no. there was, you know, no money coming in, so she survived on pickles for like the whole week. Yeah, man. Um, so that seems like a dark side of the industry. So I was going to ask you some of the some of the dark sides or you know negative yeah. parts of being a model in the whole industry. Well, there's a lot of dark sides. I mean, to Peyton's point, like I remember when I was first moved in Paris, not only because of like the money aspect, but also because of just like the complete utter tiredness of it. Um, I'd come home and just grab a baguette and a tub of Nutella and just eat that. <laughs> And then go to sleep yeah. and wake up the next day and do the entire thing over again. Um, listen, there's a lot of dark sides to the modeling industry. Anybody that says otherwise either hasn't been in the industry deep or long enough or is lying to themselves or lying to you. Because if you think about it at its core, it is, especially for talent, for models, we are groomed from a very young age. We're, we're, we're kind of, like I said, we're told what to do, how to do it. Um, we are pushed into situations well beyond our depth and just expected to swim. Um, there is a lot of like sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of things that feed into people's own lack of diminishing of self-esteem or really feeds into people's insecurities. Um, and I think for the, for the most part, and especially what I'm going through now as I leave the industry and I kind of reflect on it all, is the complete and utter lack of protection for talent like mm. I can I I think of like two or three moments in my career or of people that I know of that were like life or death because of the agency didn't do their due diligence in vetting a person that they were sending a model to wow. like I had this one experience where nothing happened but it was just still a very unnerving experience knowing that agencies were putting people in this position it was when I first moved to LA and I was with Ford Models and we go on test shoots. So a test shoot is like a photographer and a model and a stylist, all these people coming together to give their services for free to be able to, to create cool photos that will then go on people's books that will then hopefully get you more clients, right? Mm -hmm. And my agency had been like, there's two photographers, two fellas, and I think they were from like Germany or something like that. They're here for a couple of weeks. They really, really want to shoot you. You've seen your book. They love you. And I was like, okay, sweet. Um, and I said, where is it? They go, it's here in LA. I was like, perfect. The night before the shoot, they tell me that I'm actually driving out to the desert with them and I'm going to stay overnight in a trailer with the both of them and then shoot the next day. And I was shooting – and now I'm going to be shooting lingerie instead of the, the clothes story that we had initially wow. agreed upon. And I was like, um, I don't know how I feel about that. And she was like, no, everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. I was like, have you ever worked with these people? She's like, yeah, everything's fine. Go back to the shoot. Stay overnight in this trailer, locked in the back bedroom, and they're sleeping on the couches. I don't sleep the entire night because I don't know these people. They seem nice enough. Um, we shoot that day. It's in like skimpy as lingerie. I'm not happy with the photos because I can't use them for my book. Like it doesn't make any sense. I'm I'm pissed by the end of the day. We stop at a restaurant on the way home. They're like, "Oh, we forgot our wallet. Can you pay?" And I was like, <laughs> "All right, fine." And I come back to my my agency and I say, "Hey, listen, like 
explain my, my grievances with the entire process. And I said, have you ever worked with them? And she was like, no. And I said, I asked you that question before I went out then. She was like, yeah, but I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable. And I was oh, like, wow. darling, I'm, okay, I'm a 23-year-old, 24-year-old woman. I can handle myself. I've been in this industry, right, a long time. And I, I know how to put my, you know, handle myself. I was like, once you put an 18-year-old girl in that position, how do you think she would have handled that? And how do you think that if they weren't, you know, the quote-unquote nice fellas that they were – what position do you think that puts her in? What position do you think that ultimately put to you in as the the carer of mm-hmm. this person? So it was just even in little moments like that where you just go, you don't really care about us, do you? You don't really care if even if we're carted off to, <laughs> to the middle of the fucking desert. Yeah. Um. So that that was always a thing that that really rubs me the wrong way. As wow. There's no protection. What about on the other side of it? Some of the dark side of the business things that some models entertain more mm. does that is, is that why some models make it farther than others because they're a little bit more willing to go down that dark road from a business standpoint than the ones who kind of fully respect themselves and are like i'm not even going to entertain any of that side of the business well i mean realm. i think there's a lot of that within the industry right there's a lot of people in very high places who have who are in positions of power and i think that's in any industry but again more so in an industry where there's young women being introduced to, to older men. And the only reason I ask is because uh, I had seen a few articles that came out when you were really young that you were in the top five of the up-and-coming Australian models yeah. and the other people that you were surrounded with are very, very famous now. Um, and I think, you know, from... We, we spoke a little bit about not why, but just certain people are willing to do things that you aren't willing to do. Yeah. And not to say that that's why they became successful. It's just... No, it's just like I think there's certain people who are... who Like I never I never thought about modelling as like the be-all and end-all. It wasn't my like... It wasn't anything that I ever entertained growing up. It's not something I was like, I want to be a model and, or an actress. Like I was like, I want to be a high school teacher. <laughs> um, and so I suppose people had different motivations. Like if I was put in a situation where someone was telling me that I would... My career would excel if I did X, Y and Z... I'd be like, well, fuck you, I don't really care. Like, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. <laughs> um, whereas other people may, you know, if they're, they're really fighting for that top position and they're trying to make modelling or themselves, uh, you know, a, a prevalent kind of or prominent, sorry, uh, figure within the industry, then, yeah, they would have. But I also know a lot of people who were put in positions like that who did certain things to be able to further their careers and that never actualized mm-hmm. which i think is quite common as well it's like all of these really empty promises so um what other mental health things have you experienced or you know personally or seen others experience like what, what are some common things outside of like what we spoke about earlier mm-hmm. in terms of you know feeling judged all the time and, and scrutinized and all that are there other common i think i mean like self-esteem is a really big one i think a lot of models um more often than not um, struggle with self-esteem just purely because what we were saying before it's just this, this constant state of being judged um, I, I say a lot of a lot of models deal with pretty high anxiety like I I myself I have a very rich family like rich history of mental Ill, uh, mental health illness or mental health challenges within my family so I've always kind of been aware of it but I noticed that my own anxiety was tremendously heightened because of the industry and because of the certain things that I would have to do. Like even something as small as 
you know, finally feeling like you have a day off and then getting a call from your agency being like, you have to be downtown in an hour, like ready to go. Like it just heightens your, um, what's the word? Nervous system. Constant state of up and down in terms of a roller coaster. So I think a lot of models deal with that. And I think a lot of models really deal with loneliness. Mm. I think one of the things that I was, that I really struggled with for a long time, even up and probably up until recently, up until meeting Joe, is a sense of loneliness of traveling the world by myself and, being a model is quite an isolating experience. We don't have colleagues. You know, I have my agency, I have my agents, but there's kind of like a weird parent-child dynamic that goes on with that. I don't have colleagues in terms of models because they're my competition. I don't have colleagues in terms of stylists or creative directors of photographers because that is a once one kind of day exchange. And it's all work. No all work. One, no no yeah. play. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I've, you know, I've definitely hung out with people after work, but it's, it's not a sense of... Yeah, it's not a sense of, of play. It's a sense of work and getting that job done. So it was and, very isolating. And you've been on your own since you were 16, essentially, right? That's so. exactly right. And then it's especially if you know you come from a place like Australia where you have to get out to the world if you really want to make your mark. And oftentimes that is, even though I did move to Paris with a couple of other Australian girls, it's it, it's still, you still walk on your own path. Mm-hmm. You see them at nighttime. How did you find dating and all this? Like being all over the world, being alone. Mm. And I'm sure when you're alone, you kind of, want to date not just not to be alone right yeah. not, maybe not looking for love how did you handle dating in europe dating in new york dating in la and did you kind of use that as a crutch of just having somebody around you or you were you actually looking for love during this whole process or being exposed to all these cool people right and these high fashion parties and you know um what, what was that experience like? I think early on, like, I definitely wasn't interested in dating anybody. I really wanted to keep my options open. Like, I understood that this was probably the very, like, start of, of this really crazy adventure. And also, I was still a virgin when I moved to um, Paris the first time. So, like, I wasn't thinking about anything in terms of the sexual realm, you know what I mean? Um, and then slowly over time, like, I kind of – like, it kind of goes back to being a model. It sounds a bit weird, but, like, I knew – that if I really wanted somebody in my bed or someone to hang out with, I could. It would be a very, very easy process for me, right? Um, but it wasn't – that loneliness I, I've learned very quickly would only ever be exacerbated just by trying to fill that slot with somebody. I was always looking for love. I think I've always been a very big romantic at heart and um, – but definitely not seriously in the early years. Never really took it seriously until – I think until I kind of moved to L.A. Um, a little bit in New York but mostly L.A. where I was like, all right, I want to be in a relationship. I don't want to just like continuously kind of date people or sleep with people. With that said though, I I do want to get more into um, dating stuff in general, Mm -hmm. but like, I guess once you moved to LA, did you have a lot of guys in your DMs? Like, was that? Yeah. Like a lot, like a lot, a lot. And then I'd be going to (laughs) parties and there'd be a lot there. I think because I am very tall and very blunt. Right, that's like a bit of a beacon. And then as soon as I opened my mouth and people found out that I was Australian, when I first moved here, you really couldn't find any Australians. Mm. Now there's, you know, throw a rock and you hit one. Um, but it, yeah, so I was like this unicorn to a lot of people. Um, but then also at the same time, it was nice to kind of be this like, for, for a brief time, like this, um, I don't know, yeah, like a shiny little metal thing walking around. People were just really fascinated by me. But it was it was a nice experience to be able to 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 gain circles of friendship as well the unicorn from runcorn that's what they call you right <laughs> that's, I like that that a lot. I, that's what i heard i don't know uh no I'm kidding. <laughs> um, would you do you have any uh or is there anything that stood out like any really weird dms 
anything like anything noteworthy or funny? Did, I mean, you, did you entertain any, any of the DMs? I think I probably entertained a couple of them, just depending on what their profile pictures looked like. You know, at that point, I was pretty superficial. I wasn't like wasn't looking for a long term relationship. But um, and even Michelle, Michelle Hayden, when she was on the show, she was like, "If it was a if there's a blue check mark, I'm 100 percent going to open the DM." Yeah, I'm going to yeah. give it an open. And I'm going to have a like have a look. I mean, there was like there was a couple of the, I remember one fellow offered. I've had I've had two people in my life offer to buy me an island. Whoa. Once when I was in Venice in Italy, and once in a DM. Staten Island. Did he offer? <laughs> I wish, no. I wish. That would be great if I could own Saturn. I would be so happy with that. But yeah, this fellow just messaged me once and he was, he, I don't know what he said. He's like, I'll buy you anything. If you just, if you just date me with a date. I said, and I just shits and giggles like an island. He's like, which one? Well, <laughs> Steve I, says that Instagram is the, best, is the best dating app. Instagram? Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I met, I met, I went on some dates with some really lovely people on Instagram. I met, um, yeah, I met some, some really Did cool. Did you ever use Raya? I did use Raya. How'd that go for you? It was pretty cool. Yeah. I met some, yeah. I met some. Coolest day on Raya. Coolest day on Raya. It would have to be um, uh, a basketball player. He was pretty cool. He took me on a really nice date. We were on a couple of dates. Oh, you met him on Raya? Uh-huh. Oh, Ooh. I didn't know that. We matched and I was like, what are you doing on here? And I was like, there's no way that this is real. And like, truth be told, I didn't really know that much of him at that moment. I'm not going to say his name. I didn't know too much of him at that moment, but. Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, it was Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay. Damn, right. My I best friend at the time was like, honey, you have to go out with him. <laughs> you have to do it right now. And I was really tired. And he, he was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like. Eating Nothing. a baguette, Nutella. Fucking wish I, I wish that night I was doing that. <laughs> and then we went out, and yeah, it was super lovely, and it was a really wonderful day. But he's he's too. Uh, I don't even know what the word is. He's too fuckboy. Yeah, kind of. And then just too like just too famous and too this and too that to to be interacting with more than just like a, a fun dalliance. <laughs> yeah, put it that way. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but Ryan was. I think Ryan was a good time. I mean, like if I was to to choose any dating app, I think, if I were to go on one now, Bath House runs on me, obviously. It would have to be Raya. You're the first person that's ever said that. Really? I liked I liked the fact that it kind of it was like I like I like Hinge and obviously for obvious reasons, but um something about Ride, it was just, it was a really curated nice experience. It just felt like I wasn't like I was I was thinking about what I was doing on there more so than I was thinking about what I was doing on like. Well, Hinge. this is what we hear about Raya, and this is my gripe because I've never been on it. But um, people use Raya to connect, um, career-wise mm -hmm. or socially, not to fall to fall in love. And you kind of see the same people over and over again because you have to be approved on Raya. And once you go through everybody, you kind of see everybody again. I feel like it was different back in the day. Like now, perhaps. I mean, I haven't been on Raya for a while. Um, but like when I first joined six, six years ago, five years ago, it was, it was vastly different. And that's what I, that's when I met the basketball player. That's when I met a fellow who, who I dated for six months. Like there was some really. But I feel like in that sense, say you meet a basketball player, you meet a baseball player, you meet an actor, you meet mm -hmm. whatever. All those people, you, everybody on there is just looking to meet the next athlete, the next basketball player, well, the next yes. actor. And it's like, yes and no. are you guys looking really to hook up or to connect? Well, I mean, I suppose it really is quite a classist thing, an elitist thing, right? Because it was more so of the mindset, like, I could go on there and not have to be worried or weirded. Like, going back to what I said earlier, right? This, this stigma and this, like, ideal of being a model on Raya kind of wasn't that. 
it wasn't it wasn't so heavily placed the importance on the fact that I was a model. It was more the fact of who I was and what I was doing because there was a whole bunch of models on there. Say, for instance, I went on Hinge. I would download Hinge and I'd go back the next day and I'd have 100 matches. And mm. I'd be like, oh, my fucking God. Whereas I'd go on Raya and I'd have like four matches, five matches, but from an actor or a musician, somebody who was in the industry who I, I, we understood each other a but little bit But I think more. it goes to a, a bigger point that we try and talk about is like physical appearance or career appearance or like you're saying it's curated right mm. and i think that's great that's fine the, the initial attraction but the people you're actually going to connect with in real life they're not going to be someone that's in your industry or that you're super attracted to and i think that's part of the problem with it as well mm. is it's kind of putting all these people that think they're all going to like each other it, it keeps it in a, but in they a pretty actually yeah. don't have a deep connection i wholeheartedly agree it keeps it keeps you in a tight box you know what i mean like i said it's classist it's it's quite elitist in a way um but, but i yeah. do think that could be a positive thing though right because i think a lot of like you're saying like a lot of guys you went out with early on they wanted to go out with you for because your model, model yeah. what you can get them and i feel like on raya right i mean i think the purpose of raya originally would to be to match people or for people to meet that don't necessarily need anything from each other because they already have some level of success or yeah. notoriety where it's like they're not using, hopefully not using people to further their life or their career. And I think that's what it kind of was. Is like you just didn't, you, you, you went on there with the knowledge that like you couldn't really give somebody more than they could give you. It was a very equal exchange of. Well, that's fair. I guess that goes back to your original point of the early days of Raya. Right. Mm. And I guess it's just yeah. because it's had to expand, right? You have to add more users. Yeah. Those users who are coming on now, it's kind of people who are maybe on the outskirts of the inner circle of L.A. and who do need to get ahead. And I think that kind of goes back to like the influencer versus model thing yeah. of how, you know, they have a big following on social media and these big brands are trying to work with the influencers. But they're all, the people on the business side of it are seeing, OK, working with an influencer is not as easy as it was working with a model. There's just a different dynamic here. And I think it's completely you just have to dynamic. open up the market more because that's just the way the world Well, but moving. that's exactly right. I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I want so I want do you want to talk about some of the positives of the modeling industry? I'd love to. And I'm going to make, I'm going to read a quote and then I'm going to make another theory up. Uh, I love your made up theory. Okay. So the first you said something along the lines of, we're talking about the importance of the relationship between the talent and the photographer. Mm hmm. So is photographer talent as well, or is it usually just the model? No, I mean, like talent is usually meant for like on screen. The performer. So like yeah, the, the performer. Okay. All right. So the relationship between the talent and the photographer, right? And you said something along the lines of like when the photographer matches the energy, work ethic, and creativity levels, and you flow and vibe together, that's, you know, that's when things mm. are really good. And I think uh, to make a stretch with dating, right, <laughs> um, I think that like, you know, you could have as a as a model, you could have maybe the best photographer in the world on paper, but if you guys don't align, and I think it's similar with dating, right? Someone may look great on paper, but it's not until you actually get together and match the see if the you know the energy matches and see if you guys get along and work well together. Um, it may, it just may look good on paper, it's a, right? It's a fabulous analogy. It truly is because it's true. It's like that. that it's like um, well, I think part of the reason why I was so successful in my career is because. I'm an innately connective person, right? I love connecting with people. I love looking people fucking directly in the eyes and I want to know everything that's going on about you. And I think I had that ability when we, we, we stepped onto set. And again, if you have someone who's matching that energy, it's just it's literal magic. Mm -hmm. um, who wanted to, who was there for the purpose of creating something fucking incredible, creating beautiful images, 
um, and came at the process with the same kind of positivity and creativity that I always did. Because again, it's not brain surgery. We're here to have, like in, a, in reality, it's, it's quite fantasy what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I think it, it completely correlates with dating. And you can, I could have um, Stephen Mizell, who was an incredible photographer, right? Very prolific um, photographer. I could be like, oh my God, I'm so excited to work with him. This is going to be incredible. And I could get on set and he could, could be a grumpy old dude. Or I could be not on my game that day and we could not mesh well. And those photos might be beautiful because, you know, I'm styled up, I've got hair and makeup. He's an incredible photographer. I'm a, I'm a good model. But there's not that oomph there. There's not that like light behind the eyes or that little something with the, the X photo. factor. The X factor. And that's truly it. Like I look at like my best friend, Jocelyn, um, she's not she's not a massive photographer by any means, you know what I mean? But my favourite photos that I've ever had taken of myself are by her mm. because of that connection that we have as humans and the way that translates through photos is just... And I'm sure you're really comfortable shooting <clears> with her. So incredibly comfortable. You tell me you look your best when you're the most mm. comfortable, right? I mean, like, think about the photos that I've taken of you and you love them because it's me looking at you, you looking yeah. at me, and it's it's this this continuous energy loop that that you can feel in the photo. Yeah. It's amazing. That's no. magic. Uh, can you talk about your friendship and, and working relationship with Tyler Shields and how you know he's impacted your career? And I would love to. Yeah. Speaking of sliding into DMs, that's what exactly what Tyler did. He, oh, really? He, yeah, he messaged me. He, I think he commented on something and he said, I would love to shoot with you. And he had a blue check mark next to his name. And I was like, who are you? Who are you? And again, Jocelyn, she was like, Hannah, I studied him in school. Wow. Like she went to photography school. And I was like, all right, so he must be a, a fellow that I want to go and, and hang out with. And at that point, I had really short hair. It was like a pixie. And he invited me over to his house in Valley Village. And I was living in North Hollywood at, the, at that time. And I walked in and we sat down and talked for about an hour before shooting anything. And he was just a really fascinating person. He was very kind of like type A. And I'm not type A at all. Um, but you could you could sense this, this really deep creativity in him. And then the first photo, he put me in a a leather straight jacket and we were shooting he's like now rip it off and I was like fucking all right and just the the challenge that initial challenge that he did that and then we ended up shooting some fucking crazy photos he was like pouring beer I was like smoking a cigarette and he was pouring beer into my mouth at the same time um we shot all these crazy things and after that one day of shooting we just like we just kind of fell in love with each other a little bit in terms of the ability to trust each other to create things um and, you know, bar his kind of girlfriends throughout the period of time, I think I've probably been one of, if not the most kind of prevalent person in, in his photographs. And he, he said this before, he's like, she's just, she's down for anything. She's down to be able to push the limits and the boundaries of what we think we're capable of. Like he called me about the helicopter. He's like, you scared of heights? And I said, mm, it depends on how high. And he was like, helicopter. I was like, do I have to jump out of the helicopter? He's like, no. And he's like, oh, I was like, yeah, all right. And that was the end of it. Wasn't there a lion involved once? Lion? He had he, his girlfriend at the time, Ali. He got a lion into his backyard in Valley Village. Wow. And she dangled a stake over its mouth. Wow. Like he's, he is the, the definition of a, a creative genius, literally. Anybody that you talk to, like Jonathan or anybody that's close to him. Well, I was going to say, yeah, like the people that he surrounded himself with, I guess, that core, mm. who I've had the pleasure to meet all of them, mm. well, most of the most of them. They're all just like amazing people, Jonathan and Kevin and you and he he creates this and and it's because of the the person that he is. He's he's so kind and so gentle and 
and so funny and and he has all of these these aspects of him that is just it's so beautiful um but he he is phenomenal phenomenal at what he does like, super smart too so so intelligent Steve, do you know do you remember the the photo of kathy griffin with the trump head yes that was time yeah, yeah i yeah that's wild. He's he's a and I think that like people people have asked me this a couple of times, especially you know being quite a successful model and other photographers have been like, so how much do you get paid for shooting with Tyler? I was like nothing, and they go, what? what what do you mean you don't get paid? I'm sure there's been other people who have gone up to him and been like, so what am I getting paid for this? And he goes nothing because it is it is literally an honor, an absolute honor to be able to shoot with someone like him um, because of the experiences that you get. Well, weren't you displayed in? London. Mate, I was in the front of Sotheby's, which is one of the oldest auction houses in the world, next to a um, Picasso. My wow. face was next to hanging next to a Picasso. Can we shoot that in, Joey? <laughs> we'll find get it. that. We'll find it, that. It was, it was. And shoot the Trump head in too. I want to yeah. see that. And he just, he just called me up one day. He was like, oh, look at, he just texted me. He's like, look at this. And it was, he was like, you're in the front of Sotheby's. And, and it was so nonchalant. <laughs> I was like, Tyler. <laughs> So yeah, I have I could speak about him for for days or weeks. And we hope to get Tyler on the pod. Maybe maybe this will be the catalyst. Maybe this episode, it will be. buttering him up. I'll, we'll do it from a helicopter. We'll do whatever he wants. Mate, he would he, probably that's yeah. the only way he would do it if you do it from a helicopter. From a lion's den, we'll do whatever the fuck he wants. No, he's um, a gorgeous creature. Do you have a favorite shoot? A single favorite shoot that like at the end of it all, you're gonna make that was like which one stands out as the it's most? It's really difficult to p- to pick one like shining moment within my career because they're just they're fantastic for different reasons like I remember being the face of Vulcan women's Vulcan women's for like five or six years and just doing every one of those shoots I, I they literally just wanted me to be me just run around the beach in their cool clothes and and nice. after four so that was always really fun or when my um shot like this massive campaign for two-faced and then they hand-painted it on the side of a New York building that's wow. the coolest one. I and it really was cool. just, and again, nobody told me. And they and what is it, Two Face? Mm-hmm. What is that? I'm not sure. It's a makeup company. Okay. Pretty, pretty big one too. And I shot so many campaigns for them. Um, and then nobody told me. And then they posted a video of them just like hand painting it on the side of this this building. What, what do you like, think was cooler, being hand painted on that building or being on a billboard for Forever 21? I mean, Forever 21 was all around the world. So that was pretty cool. Like my father all was- All billboards were all around the world? Yeah, all around the world. Like oh, in every wow. Forever 21 around the world, my face was there. And my, I mean, my father was living in Seoul at the moment, uh, at that moment. And he was like, it's you. <laughs> so it was kind of really, That's really cool. fucking amazing to have to the knowledge that your face is all around the world. And they still use it to this day. Uh, Sion Sword in Nashville for the bridal company. Your face around the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Forever 21 still using it? And Macy's, you were- in Macy's yeah, for, last for, year. Yeah, for Two-Faced. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but like I think those, the couple of those experiences were really fucking cool. Cool. Yeah, that's dope. Playboy. That's really cool. Playboy's really cool too. I probably saw you at some point didn't even notice. You probably did. Well, yeah. it, was, it was when they weren't doing like full nudity. They were doing like implied nudity because, I mean. I didn't mean Playboy specifically. I just meant in one of these things. You might have yeah. seen me walking down the New York Street. Who knows? Never know. Um, but when they, and we, we actually just shot the editorial for Playboy and they submitted it and they were like, yeah. Are you a believer in freeing the nipple on social media? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think that, like, this is how I see it. Obviously, everybody's comfortability level, right? But I've been a very naked person for a lot of my career. I'm proud of my body. I'm proud of the way I look. I'm not going to look this way forever. And I find it really fucking rude. Me too. That men, thank you for it, not even ever. Doesn't matter. <laughs> that men are allowed to just, like, freely be out there and about, and women can't do the same thing. Like, if a nipple, a nipple offends you that fucking much... I'm, then not, scroll, I'm not about freeing the nipple on Instagram. Then scroll past it. Wow. He didn't ask you the question, though. He asked me, didn't he? Well, I'm <laughs> disputing. Two against one. Why? 
Are you uh, afraid of the nipple? Just to know the way men operate. Mm. But whose problem is that? Men's? But or? I think it would be the woman's problem eventually because if the nipple's out. You know what I've actually find? It's like not, more it's not men It's not men complaining about the nipple. It's women, other women complaining no, about the nipple. No, I'm not saying that the, the men are complaining. I'm right? saying that. And the white knights who feel that they need to de- pretend to defend the women. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that that the men are complaining. I'm saying that if the nipple's out, the men are going to be more aggressive and then the women are going to Well, have a I mean, I think we just, uh, truth be told, I think we need to go back down to the, the very base level of like a woman should be able to theoretically walk around naked and not have to have the threat of like someone doing something even more aggressive just because she's got a little nip out. Like if a nipple turns you one or makes you that aggressive, then you should not be out in society. I'm so sorry. If you can't control yourself. It's a brown protuberance. It's a friggin', yeah. it's literally. <laughs> It's from Seinfeld. You, Brown, you, what's the word? Protuberance. Like we used to do this thing all the time because we, when we're when we're on shoots and like when they don't want us to wear a bra, we wear things nipple pasties, right? So it completely eliminates your nipple. And we used to walk around being like, it's not a boob and without a nipple. Nope. And it's true. It's right. It's not. Protuberance. But what? Like what's? <laughs> it's just like I said. I think it's just. Got I remember a- when I saw my first woman's nipple. I was six, walking on the beach with my dad, and we were, we I guess we're on a free rain beach. And there was like this woman just tanning. And I was just like, what, what's going on there? He's <laughs> like, son, <laughs> that's a protuberance. <laughs> Where is that? Reese Park in Rockaway? I think so, yeah. yeah. You probably saw more penises than nipples. But is it yeah. a nude beach? Yeah, it's a, it's a gay, it's I more of a gay nude Reese beach. Park. A gay yeah. nude beach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she had a red hair. One of the few Is it true that you can be topless in Central Park? Uh, I swear, I, I swear, I've heard that probably. so many times. I mean, I, I couldn't. And see I've seen a lot of people topless in Central Park. Yeah, I can you see. Probably, that. Why not sliding away? Oh, look, it doesn't offend me in the slightest. Uh, I just wonder if, like, legally, it was allowed. I, I don't know. Why don't you try it out? Anyway, ipso facto, yes, free the fucking nipple. Free the nipple. Free it, babe. I think that brings us to our uh, speed dating rapid fire hot seat interrogation round presented by what do we got? The Doctor Juice from Bristol Farms. Some green juice today. A little green juice. Keep it healthy. Okay, green juice. Uh, we're keeping it healthy today. Hannah wants to know if you would try that though. Um, no, nah, because I'll probably only take a sip, and I don't want to. You guys Told can you. have. You guys can take it home. All right. I was like, he has to drink this. Like, it's just a green juice. It's got no alcohol in it. Just a little <laughs> bit of my hair. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, what's the best thing that's happened to you today? This podcast. Hmm. What's hang the second best thing that's happened to you today? Um, I finished two blog posts. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. really happy with that. Productive. Very proud oh, of that. Very productive on the, on the blog posts. It's killing it. Yeah. Um, what's the best compliment you've ever received? You are the sweetest person I've ever met or like you're the kindest person I've ever met. Whenever people talk about like sweetness or kindness, it always hits my heart in a different way because that's, that's what I'd like to think that I embody. Yeah. Income. That's what matters. That's it, babe. Yeah. Um, favorite date spot? Pache. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we've only been there once, but God. Or Frankie's. Frankie's is a little place on Melrose. Not everybody go there because I don't want it to get too overrun, but it's just this cute little Italian place. It's gorgeous. Okay. I'm waiting for Steve to try Pache. <gasps> Frankie's is the vegan place or no? No. no. That's okay. Sugar Taka. Ah. Uh, no, well. Well, there, a, isn't there a vegan Italian place? Oh, but that's Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Okay, he hasn't tried it properly, so he doesn't. Okay, well, he can. I mean, as a real Italian, you can't try. That's true. That's true. It's probably last. Giuseppe's a real Italian. I'm a half Italian. Well, Pace, Pace is Italian, correct? Yeah. Yeah. See, there we go. Okay. Um, Favorite romantic comedy? How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days or Pretty Woman. 
Mm. No one's classic. ever said Pretty Woman. A lot of people say How to Lose a Guy. In I mean, days. it's such a classic. Also, almost for my like, we call it a formal in Australia, but it's what you guys would call a prom. I almost wore an exact replica of that dress to my formal. However, then I decided to go for like a 1950s, like green and blue dress. It's very, it doesn't really matter. But Not to okay. nitpick, but I don't think Pretty Woman's a rom-com. It's definitely a rom-com. Right? That's it. That's an interesting point. I don't think it is. I would well, say, I would the, say the it's probably like, it? it could be like <laughs> yeah. 80-20 rom. Yeah. If we're really breaking down, I don't know, but but that's interesting. But I think it's but a there's rom-com. a little calm in there. Correct? Yeah, unless it's just wrong. Yeah, it's probably rom. There's a little calm. Yeah, there's calm. She. There's yeah. a little bit there's of calm. calm. I mean, there's not a lot of it. Yeah. I'm still sticking with my answer though. That's a good answer. Uh, last movie that made you cry. Oh, what's that one we just watched? A oh, man called Otto. A man called Otto. I'm so glad that we didn't watch that after Shout that Darren, content because Darren I us the wreck. was like <laughs> sobbing at the end of it. It just reminded me of my grandfather like a mm. lot, and it really hit your tattoo, right? <laughs> This is Isn't actually that... this is this one is for my um, my grandfather said this the same grandfather said this at my uh, cousin's funeral. Said what? This oh it's a, uh, it's a <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> I was like everybody knows uh, it's an acronym so it's first letter of every word and it means first among equals always and ever so it's to treat everybody equally no matter what until they give you I mean until they give you a reason not to basically but and the movie reminded you of him it just reminded me of like of of you know losing a. I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen the movie, but like, you know, just losing a partner and then and living in your older years with without the person that you love so much and then being a bit grumpy about it mm. and then finding community. I don't know. It was just so good. It pulled on my heartstrings so much. You didn't see it. I yeah, could right? cry I just thinking about it. You have to watch it. <laughs> I will, I Although I really want to watch The Whale because all of my oh, yeah. friends have seen it and they just said that that was an absolute sob fest too. So. Okay. Maybe tonight. Um, most played song on your Spotify? Ed Sheeran, anything. Mm, okay. Go to karaoke <laughs> song. Je- oh, don't stop believing by Journey or anything by Queen. Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, can't That's sing it that well. A, I mean, it's hard, but also one. it gets the crowd going. Definitely. <laughs> uh, if you could have a drink with anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Robin Williams, hands down, easy. Tyler actually knew Robin Williams really um, quite well, and used to tell me stories about him, and I would cry listening to the stories because I was wow. like. <laughs> If I could have, I cry. I mean, I cried the entire day that that man died. It just, he seemed like such a, a beautiful soul for this world. Yeah. And to lose him so, what seemed like so viciously. So, yeah, him. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite quote or mantra? Something you live by or something you like to think about? Life is tough, my darling, but so are you. I think mm. that life can be quite difficult, but I think a lot of people underestimate their own strength. Okay. And resilience. So yeah. It's going to be tough, but so are you. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Mary Fuck Kill. We got some Aussies on the table. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. Margot Robbie. Fuck oh. Margot Robbie. <laughs> Kill which Hemsworth does it? Doesn't really matter. Any of them. And um, marry Hugh Jackman because he just seems like, again, such a sweetheart. He is a sweetheart. He reads to his wife in bed out loud. Yeah. Can you do that for me? Sorry. He's so Maybe. nice. Sorry, Joe. Lolly me to sleep. Uh, he would do that sorry he would yeah, he definitely would i would let him read to me too, me too. <laughs> um what advice would you give to 18 year old hannah relax like just relax it's all gonna it's all gonna be okay what's your biggest fear in life a tsunami mm. no but in well true tsunami definitely um i suppose sometimes i worry about not leaving my mark on this world in, in the powerful and positive way that I want to. But then I have to remind myself that I'm in my early 30s 
and I've got so much more time for that. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, what does love mean to you? Mm, love means safety. Love means com- complete trust and and care. I think it's just the the knowledge that there's this like counterpart there for you, whether it's the love of a best friend, the love of a, a parent, the love of a sister, or the love of a, a husband or a wife. It's just the knowledge that someone's there and they love you and care for you no matter what. Yeah. Um, last question. What does a banana say when it's frozen? <laughs> what? I don't know. You put it on your Instagram 10 years ago and I never, Did got, I? <laughs> really? yeah, I never got a response. I've been waiting for 10 years. What does a banana say? Wow. Now I need to know. I put it on my Instagram. How many Google it? No, I'm sorry. Your Twitter, not Instagram. Your I don't Twitter. Have Twitter. You had a Twitter. No, I didn't. Was it not her? I've never had a Twitter. Oh, shit. So someone put it up. Someone was, it, was, was it Hannah Gadsby? People have, there has been many people who have tried to pretend to okay, be on so. different platforms. So that wasn't me. Was it Hannah Gadsby? So I was catfished. What does a yeah, banana happens quite often. Yeah, people are creating like weird, people are creating a whole bunch of Facebook accounts and that's, yeah, Instagrams that's... and Twitters, but I've no, I've never had Twitter. Okay. So yeah, so that I was officially catfished. Um, it's like a I was third really time waiting this for the week. Fucking, I was really waiting for the punchline for maybe, that joke. Maybe Joe will find it. Third time this week? Yeah. No, um, okay. So, okay. So life after modeling. Hmm. Uh, what, what does that look like for you? What's, what's, I don't know if you're completely done or not, but what's, what's the future look like? I mean, I always keep the door open to modeling. If there's, you know, there's opportunities for me to make a little bit of money and, and have some fun and create some cool, cool photos then I'll definitely do so. But listen, I, I really, really enjoy writing and the more and more I do it, the more I, um, I feel that love kind of grow deeper and deeper. So I think in all honesty, after doing what I've done for such a long time and Having some like really interesting and cool stories under my belt. I think I'm going to write a book. Mm. I think I'm going to put all of that, all of that experience and um, all of that, I don't know, all of those adventures into to something that perhaps other people can read and and enjoy. And not just the adventures, but just kind of like the lessons I learned along the way and the things that that I think that I can kind of parlay from that industry into the next. Or and then hopefully being a mother at some point soon and, and kind of focusing on that as well, which I feel like I could be writing and motherhood. They go kind of well together. She yeah. wants to be Carrie Bradshaw. Okay. She's been watching Sex and the City a, nobody like can be all Carrie day, Bradshaw. every day. I've been watching Sex and the City for blog post ideas because I think it's very interesting oh, to like kind of... Don't give away your research. secret sauce. That's all right. People can watch it. They're still not going to be able to get the same thing that I get out of it. Well, okay. Well, question though. So you are middle child, right? I am a middle child. Classic middle child. And... I know your dad has a huge family, right? Mm-hmm. What do you What do you want? How many children? Do you, do you want eleven? I used, to, I used to think that I wanted something like I wanted like five or six. Right? I think I used to think that I wanted this massive household. And I think the older I've gotten and the wiser I've gotten and the more <laughs> people in my life that have had children, um, I would be really happy at two. I think that two would kind of be perfect, especially if it was like a boy and a girl. Mm. Um, but that's you know pipe dream wishful thinking. I think he would probably be happy with along the lines of three. Three. It's just like the whole physical aspect of having a child that that worries me. It's not so much like looking after them otherwise. It's more so like what's it going to do to my physical health and how, how over a prolonged period of time am I going to be able to carry all those friggin' babies. But yeah, but I the did, first one will be the hardest. And you true. Just get used to I did, easy for him to say, Yeah, right? it's very easy for him to say. I did. I right? adored growing up in such a big family though, like having such having so many uncles and aunties and so many cousins. It was like it was literally like growing up with, you know, 15 siblings. So 
I love the idea of that. Perhaps we'll just have to convince all of our friends to have a lot of babies as well so we can just create a little community. So like, you'll have to have two, we'll have two. The little fromies. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> so cute. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There is no answer to the joke. I don't know. There isn't? No. Oh. Not, not that I found. Well, it's like it's called nice cream if you if you blend banana together to make ice cream. It's called nice cream. Ooh, that sounds mm. good. It's actually really fun. And you know what you should do? Add a little tiny bit of vanilla. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I had a banana yeah, joke knew. that I grew up with. Um, I heard a joke today, but I can't remember what it was. Bar. Um, but yeah, so I think what I think is interesting, one of the many things I think is interesting about you two is um, talking about like the boss bitch side of you and the traditional side where mm. you want to be a mother and have a family. Mm. Um, do you, I, how did that kind of like, is it, do you think it's tough to balance both sides of that? Yeah, I think, I think it's tough because I think, I mean, I think everybody has that, those two sides of them, like that little bit more of a nurturing traditional side. And then the side of them that wants to be out in the world and, and be incredibly successful. I think because I had such a successful career and was so, just dominant I had to be like I had to be so sure about what I was doing and how I was doing in in every element that it didn't really leave a lot of room for someone else to 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 take on that role um and now as I've kind of stepped away from the industry obviously married now I feel like it's a little bit easier for me to step more into that quote-unquote feminine side of myself or that more traditional side of myself but it is a struggle like I was you know I was really successful for a long time and I got used to being successful mm. there's this energy that comes with with being that productive and and being that um in the public eye and being and being praised for it and now I'm kind of stepping back and I'm seeing him kind of rise in this thing and it's a beautiful experience but it also kind of does give me those pangs sometimes where I'm like Fuck, I really wish I was like on set shooting a massive campaign right now because I miss that feeling but I also know that there's there's seasons in life you know, and I think the season's really here to, to teach me something that it's not all about being front and center. There's a lot that I can learn by kind of sitting on the sidelines a little bit, just watching, observing, being a supporter, being a cheerleader. Yeah. And then I'll figure out how to, to make myself kind of like that. If I want that feeling back again, figure out the career path in, in which to do so. Love it. Yeah. You're the biggest supporter and cheerleader. I try. Yeah. I know what it's, I think, and I think it, because I love you so much, obviously, and I believe in the app and I believe in you, both of you. But it's also because I, I spent such a long time being so isolated and lonely in the, in those moments of real success. And I don't think I would want anybody that I love to, to ever feel like they don't have someone to celebrate that or someone to, to be their cheerleader. Like I remember so many times that like I would go and see the billboards of myself just by myself because I had nobody else around me. I'd be like, oh, this is a cool experience. But then it's just that one moment in time and then you kind of forget about it. So every every accomplishment that you have, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Let's take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is the most challenging part about being married to Joe? Oh wow. So many. No, I'm joking. Um, you could be honest. There's probably he gets, a lot. Th- th- I actually really adore this part of him. It's just sometimes I just want to like I just want to scream at him. Ring his neck. Just ring his neck. He when he gets happy, he gets annoying. Right, and it's like I know that he like it's it's rooted in joy, so I can't be too frustrated at it. But he'll yell in my ear, or he'll just fling things, or he'll just he would just be like a child, like a teenage boy. Um, so I say that's probably like the most difficult thing sometimes because I'm trying to be serious and he's just acting like a fucking fool. But then I know it's because he's happy, so I can't really be too angry. Yeah. So he kind of like backs me into a corner. That or the fact that he just leaves his fucking shit everywhere. But then again, he's a male, 
you're probably the only man that I know that has some kind of sense of, of cleanliness. He's just like, here you go, here you go. I'll clean the entire house and then I'll wake up the next morning and somehow it's dirty. <laughs> he must be sleepwalking or something. Must be. Yeah. Must be. Sorry. Or not rinsing your fucking plates, but you've, you've gotten better at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But all small still. It's all small things. Yes. Uh, you got anything else, Joe? No, this is great. Yeah, this I is awesome. It. You got the deeper side of you, right? And you, yeah. not the Joe's wife side. I mean, I'm I'm equal parts proud to be Joe's wife, and and people guys get to see how you really are cooler than me. <laughs> even though we just say it. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, you that. are definitely the number one uh, supporter, cheerleader, and an amazing friend. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you, my darling. And um, you know, first of all, where can people find you outside of because? I hope more people will start to continue to read the blog and the blog mm. will blow up because you are a great writer. Thank you. And uh, not only is it fun to read, but there's a lot of actionable tips to take away, especially as a single male single out male there navigating walking, the world. And, That's what know. I just want it to be is just I want it to feel like you're reading something from your friend. You know what I mean? Being like, babe, here, here are some tips and tricks. I hope that that can help. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm posting twice a week now. So come over and read what I have to say and you can find it through my own Instagram. I'm not very active on social media anymore. I had to do it for a job for such a long time that mm-hmm. it does not bring me joy in any way, shape or form, but I'm trying to get better with it. So What's the social media? Oh, Hannah underscore Glasby. And then uh, firstroundsonme.co slash blog where you'll blog. F- easily find the blog there. Yeah, you can find it through my through my Instagram too. It's in my little bio. Yeah, and shout out to Steve. Steve was the quote-unquote best man at our he was thank you courthouse wedding well so i appreciate you guys was, having me it was honestly the the probably the most perfect way that we could have ever imagined yeah and it was so sweet it Steve was a great jocelyn <laughs> our two closest people yeah, here respective best friends were our side just him and i it was my pleasure thank oh, you most perfect and i will say since since i don't have a billboard to go look out when i get lonely i read <laughs> i read your blog so well, <laughs> if you ever do have a billboard, you know I'll be right there I next year. That. I know screaming, that. taking the whole, Probably taking like 150 soon. photos. You both will be. Think about it. There's so much more to come. This is just the beginning. Yeah. Yep. Well, Hannah, thank you so much. This My has been time. awesome. Um, and you can find us on uh, Instagram at First Rounds on Joe, at Steve Rossiter underscore, and most importantly, at First Rounds on Me. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, check out one of our past episodes.